there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of Tea for C. If you're interested in starting your own restaurant and are curious about entrepreneurship in the food industry, or heck, you just love pizza, bagels, and sandwiches, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is the co-owner and chief doughboy of two Washington, D.C.-based award-winning restaurants, Timber Pizza Company, and Call Your Mother! A Jewish deli where anyone can enjoy some favorite Jewish food traditions with a twist. And P.S. We are broadcasting right now from Call Your Mother and Andrew. The Mecca. Yeah. And Andrew is sitting across from me. But before I introduce you to Andrew Dana, I want to make sure that you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive window into the guests and the episodes we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. Even you can do it, Andrew. You just head over to the Amen. Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee. Dot org and the sign up boxes. Sign right up. There. Sign Make it up. Happen. Now, my food and Java fanatics, it is time to grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is the self acclaimed pizza lover and oh boy, Andrew Dana who left his job at an educational technology startup in August of 2014 to pursue his passion for pizza. After long nights and hard work cooking up the recipe for just the perfect pizza crust, Andrew and his buddy Chris started selling it at farmer's markets. Two years later, they opened the doors to Timber Pizza Company, a brick-and-mortar restaurant in Northwest D.C. That was back in June 2016, where crowds of pizza fans now flock to enjoy their Neapolitan-ish pizza cooked in a copper-covered, wood-fired oven shaped like an igloo. But I'm guessing a little smaller. Yeah. But I'm sure people can't fit. Or maybe they can. Have uh, you ever tried crawling in your had igloo? We replaced the oven floor last winter, so we did have a man crawl in there. Oh, my God. It's pretty scary. Very scary. Not me. I'm too broad. It's the doughboy. <laughs> the doughboy doesn't fit. Prior to leaping into the pizza-making business, Andrew was the director of business development at EverFi, a leading education technology company that provides learners of all ages education for the real world through innovative and scalable digital learning. Shortly after graduating from the College of Charleston, Andrew's wearing a College of Charleston sweatshirt right now. By the way, it's in South Carolina. Andrew was an account executive for Power Windows and Siding, where he negotiated contracts ranging from $10,000 to $30,000 to remodel more energy efficient homes. Andrew is shaking his head right now. I was thinking. That job was some doo-doo. Don't do it. Okay, don't do it. Andrew, welcome to Time for Coffee. It is awesome to have you. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Through the roof. Been chugging espresso all day. (laughs) We are here in your newest restaurant, as I said, Call Your Mother, because it's 
quieter, I'm guessing, than it would be over at Timber Pizza. Timber's getting ready to open, nighttime service. We're winding down here, so I figured this would be the perfect place for a little afternoon chat. Lovely. And we are going to head over there afterwards to enjoy some unbelievably delicious pizza with two of my wonderful fall 2019 interns, Jasmine Connor and Emily Riley, who are both undergrads at the University of Maryland. They are killing it. Unbelievable terps you found here. Yes. Unreal. And my son, Aiden, who is off as far as he can hide from me because he doesn't want to be anywhere near me right now, but it's okay. It's all good. McLean High School, represent. Yes, he is. But before we get into what you do as the founder and chief doughboy, I would love to kick things off, Andrew, by getting a better understanding as to why you and Chris, your buddy and colleague from EverFi, Mm -hmm. by the way, decided to leave that company you were working for when you did and go into the pizza making business. EverFi is an amazing company, but I don't think we felt that passion working there every day. But every day we'd go to lunch and we would get super excited. And so that's honestly it. It was not liking our jobs and just feeling like there was something else out there and there was something more. And then the idea started to just sort of percolate and grow and grow bigger and bigger. And it was, you know, February. It was getting dark at like 4.30 and we were in the office. And I was like, this just ain't it, chief. And so we busted through the door and bought a pizza oven and here we are. So other than eating pizza, Mm -hmm. which I'm guessing you did quite a bit of. Yep. And Chris too. Did you have any other insight? into pizza making, let alone pizza selling? Quick answer is no. Long answer is sort of. I went to grad school in New York and was eating at all the pizza shops. So I didn't know it at the time, but I was doing market research. And my actually my capstone project in grad school, I did write a business plan for a pizza restaurant. I went into grad school thinking I wanted to be into sports marketing. And by the end, I was like, I just want to open a fucking pizza restaurant. So that was my final business project. What happened during business school to flip your head? I went and I got an internship at Octagon, which is sort of top tier sports marketing company. And it just felt a little one dimensional. I was like, I like sports. I play sports. My job's also going to be play sports. I was just like, this is just too much freaking sports. (laughs) And so I just sort of got over that. And I was... I lived in Brooklyn and there's a pizza place called Lucali's, which is world renowned. And I just loved it and went all the time. And the vibe was incredible. And it was just such like, it was like the heartbeat of the neighborhood. And I'm from DC and there was just nothing like that sort of felt like that here. So I had that idea and then just working at EverFi, you know, things were going well. I was making good money. I was moving up, blah, blah, blah. But I just like, I wasn't waking up and being like, ah, I can't wait to get to work every day. I was like, oh, okay. So before you took the leap mm-hmm. from EverFi into the pizza world, did you have like a financial cushion that you had built up? Not really. Or were you just like, I'm going to couch surf and, you know. It's more or less what I did. I lived in my friend's dad's basement, which was exciting. They had a dog and a cat upstairs, and when they would get in a fight, they would throw the cat downstairs to the basement, and the cat would then try and fight me, so that was exciting. Then I lived in my friend's baby's room, so I lived in a room with, like, a crib and all that, so I was... It was weird. If I ever had was lucky enough to have a guest, it was a weird experience for everybody. So help us understand, then, how you kind of got 
your pizza-making enterprise off the ground? Yeah, so Chris and I had like a little bit of money from working there. We started the business for about $30,000. So we went 50-50, which is not insignificant, but it's also not like Doesn't grow on trees. Right. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I was going to say 15000 No, it was a lot, for sure. But, you know, we both had pretty successful years and business and all that at EverFi. And so we just, honestly, there was no business plan. We just bought the oven. So when people are always like, how do I start a business? I'm like, just do something that puts you at the point of no return. So you have to figure it out because that's what we did. We bought this oven. They're like, it'll be there in two months. And we're like, oh, shit. Okay, we got to figure out how to do this. So then we wrote the business plan. Then we started doing trial and error on pizza dough. So I read all these books about dough. I had an idea of what I wanted the pizza to be like. And just sort of little by little, we started to chip away at it. We would meet every day. And on the wall, we had these 15, 30, 90 lists. So it's things we have to get done in the next 15 days, things we have to get done in the next 30 days, things we have to get done in the next 90 days. And every day, we'd just be crossing stuff off, adding stuff. But there was no sort of yellow brick road that we were following. Following. We were just every day sort of chipping away at it. Was it what you expected or did you get hit by some curveballs that just slapped you upside the head? It was hard. It was really, 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 really hard. It's just every day is so different in the food industry. Your customers are different. Things I never thought about, like the weather affects your pizza dough. It's just like, I'm not a chef. I didn't know this. So we started in May when it was chilly. The dough is one way. All of a sudden it's June. It's hot and humid and the dough's overproof. And we're like, what the hell's going on here? So like there was a lot of lumps like that that we had to figure out. But we just sort of like were relentless and we showed up every day and there was days we sold three pizzas and there was days we sold 150 pizzas. And just little by little, we got better at our craft. We got better at what we were doing. We learned sort of where to go, where not to go. But the goal was always to open a restaurant. So we pretty quickly started to think about, okay, let's get really, really tight so we can open a restaurant in a year or two and take that next leap. So before we get into where you were selling, Mm -hmm. I know you take a lot of pride in your dough. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten all kinds of shout outs by some very serious foodie magazines from all over the country. What is it that makes it so special? And how did you land on it? Yeah, so there's sort of like two major camps of pizza. There's, you know, the pizza you get in New York, the big pies that are pretty crispy. And then there's like, you go to a Neapolitan restaurant where it's like super doughy and puffy and it's cooked really fast. And I was like, what would happen if these two pizzas got married and had a baby? How do we create that? How do we have it be sort of have that char and that, you know, flavor from the wood fired oven, but also hold up a little better and have that crisp. So I started reading about both of the doughs. And then I basically just combined the recipes because I'm not a chef and I didn't know how else to do it. So I was like, I'm just going to combine these recipes. And that's what I did. And it worked out pretty good. And I have kind of cheated. I know that you put some sugar in it, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the other ingredient that you wouldn't usually find? Olive oil. So olive oil. Really? You would find olive oil in like New York style pizza, but not typical Neapolitan pizza. So the olive oil makes it a little crispier. And then we think the sugar with the yeast, the yeast is just eating that sugar building flavor as a touch of sweetness. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. So why farmer's markets? What was it about that that made you think, okay, Target, let's go? Yeah, I thought the food truck market was super saturated. There's so many food trucks out there. Also, the licensing for a food truck is much harder than selling at a farmer's market. I also like the idea of a farmer's market that you're at the same place every week at the same time. So you can really start to build a loyal clientele. They know, okay, they're going to be in blank spot every Thursday, three to seven. And I also like the idea 
that we'd be selling next to farmers and producers and purveyors. And we'd be able to create these really great relationships to make our product better by buying the best local produce and buying the best local tomatoes. So sort of just checked all the boxes. And so we just went for it. Something else happened at the farmer's market in addition to selling. And you weren't just selling at the farmer's market, P.S. You were also selling at weddings and... Festivals, private events, weddings. We're going to cater 50 weddings this year, which is insane. We never thought that would be such a big part of our business, but we're doing doing the whole shebang. I want to go to one of yeah. those weddings. You met someone mm-hmm. at the farmer's market yep. who has become a pretty important person in your life. Daniela Moreira, am I pronouncing Close it? enough. Can you pronounce it's it? Moreira. Moreira. She's from Argentina, so I'm probably butchering it too. And... She is actually a trained chef. She Mm -hmm. studied at the Culinary Institute of America Mm -hmm. and she was just at the farmer's market one day. So yeah, the story is she was waiting for a fine dining job to start. And in the meantime, she was doing private catering and just like people's homes. And so on Wednesday, she went to the Georgetown Farmer's Market to buy produce for this catering saw us, said, oh, that looks cool, had a pizza, said, oh, that's pretty good, and sort of went about her business. And then Friday, she went to the USDA farmer's market to do more shopping, and we were right back there. And so we actually met, we were at a different stand. I was trying to buy eggs to make our staff breakfast. She was trying to buy eggs for the catering. It was the last carton of eggs. So we had to like argue over this last carton of eggs. We decided to split it. This is a true story. We decided to split it. I said, wow, that's a nice young lady. I went back to my stand. She then walked by once. I said to my business partner, that's what I want my wife to look like one day. She then comes back and says, we're engaged now. So let me just jump ahead so you guys don't think I'm a creep. She then comes back and says, do you guys want any part-time help? Like I'm a chef. And we were like, what? Like at this point, it had only been like my friends doing me a favor working. I was like, you want to work for us? I was like, sure, show up. And she came to the next gig. And like we said, will you cut a zucchini? Because let's prep for the whatever. And that's something that would have taken us like 30 minutes because we're idiots and barely know how to cook. And she was like, and she like cut it in like a machine. And we're like, oh my God. So it was pretty evident pretty quickly. She could sort of elevate a lot of our stuff and take us to the next level. So I started recruiting her to stay on. Please stay on. Please stay on. She kept saying, no, no, no. I'm going to go work in a real restaurant. Not for you, jabronis. And eventually I broke her down and we gave her some equity and we said, let's open this cool restaurant together. And now I guess we met just over four years ago. And now we got engaged in September. We're getting married next year in Argentina. She's my biz partner. We have a dog together. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is serious. It's mad sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. This is amazing. So after two years of kind of slogging it out, doing Mm. the farmer's markets, doing the festivals, doing on the whatever, all these different things, working seven days a week, mm-hmm. you had saved enough money, I guess, no, to open. No. So how you saved did a you, little bit of money? Okay. So did you end up borrowing it? Did you get a yep. loan? So what we, did you do? We wrote a business plan. They say in restaurants, first restaurants is usually the three F's that will fund a restaurant, friends, families, and fools. So we just did it mostly friends and family, no fools. But we wrote a business plan. And, you know, we promised to pay people back and all that good jazz. And then they could have a piece of the pie for the long term. That was hard. It's really hard to fund your first restaurant. We raised $400,000. Is that how much you needed or did you need more? We probably needed more. But we had saved some money and we got a grant from D.C. It's called a Great Streets grant that we applied for. So we got $50,000 from that. But it was really powerful that we had this mobile truck and we already had this following. So we could taste test for investors and actually show them like a tangible product where a lot of restaurants... 
restaurants that are raising money, there's nothing tangible that the investors can feel and taste. And we had like already won like best pizza in the city paper without a restaurant. So we were like already sort of on the map and creating a buzz. But it was so hard. It took us... I mean, six, nine months. I did all sorts of schemes to get money. Like what? Well, not to get money, but to get the lease, we had to prove that we had money. So I basically asked to borrow money from somebody to put in a bank account so I could send a screenshot and then I would send them the money back. And so that's how we signed the lease. But you got to fucking hustle to get this stuff done sometimes. That is really creative. Thank you. So you borrowed the money for a screenshot. I knew we were going to get it funded eventually, but... To sign this lease, we had to prove it that day. So I said, all right, let's let's get creative. How are we going to figure this out? So you did have a following, but then how did you get people in the door when you did finally open for business? Yeah, I mean, I think the the two businesses feed off of each other. I think being at all these different farmers markets is really the best form of marketing. You're in all these different parts of the city that people don't even know about where a restaurant is. They're trying the pizza and oh, do you have a restaurant? So that was like the best form. I mean, we're on social media and all that stuff, but... It's not like we like hired a PR firm or did anything super strategic. We just tried to make really good pizza and have a great vibe and give people great customer service. And we figured if we did that relentlessly day after day, eventually, you know, the word would get out. And it's a small enough city where if you're doing something really quality every day, people start to learn about it. And that's sort of what happened. Like the restaurant opened and it was sort of busy. And then it just sort of slowly grew and grew and grew and grew. And I don't know if I'm getting ahead of you, but then we made some pretty cool national lists. And then the doors basically got blown the F open. How did you get the food critics who would do that so, in the door? I We were really lucky. There's a restaurant on Upshur Street called Hamid. That was on some of these, like on the radar of some of these places. So a food editor from Bon Appetit was going to Hamitsu and was just waiting for her table and came across and tried a pizza. And so I remember she Instagrammed it and one of my friends texted me, oh my God, Julia Kramer Instagram. And I was like, who the F is Julia Kramer? Like we were just clueless. We were just working hard and trying to create a great experience. And then we were like, oh my God, that's super cool. And then we honestly didn't think about it again. And we just went back to work. And then I was up in Lake George with my family and my phone exploded loaded. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And that was the day the top 50 Bon Appetit list came out. And we didn't even know that was a list, right? Like that's how clueless we were. So there was no, I mean, we're we're really blessed that she found us and came and tried it. But there was no sort of corporate strategy. And I do think in the food and beverage industry, if you just like do something really, really well and do it really well every day and give great service and create like a super welcoming environment, I do think you will be rewarded eventually. I just think there's enough people looking for cool restaurants that are sort of, you know, food bloggers and creating lists that if you do something really well, you'll eventually get put on the radar. And I think it's the best way to do it. It's like that organic, authentic way, right? Where these restaurants who are saying, we're the best and puffing our chest out. And this is the type of experience you're supposed to have. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't resonate with people. And I think in 2019, when people are being blasted with so much information all the time, I think like finding a way to feel authentic authentic and feel original is like really, really important. So did your like phone explosion with all of the Mm -hmm. people who were saying, oh my God, you guys made this list translate into more customers? Yeah, we basically overnight sales went up 40% now sustained for two and a half years. Like literally that day we had a line out the door to the corner and I, Danny and I looked at each other and we were like, what the F are we going to do? Like, this is mad. Like, we could barely keep up with what we were doing before that. And we were just like, oh shit. So what did you do? We had some really bad nights where people were waiting for pizza for 50 minutes or an hour and 
we just had to figure out how to get more efficient and you know nights at the kitchen was bogged down we were like front of house this is your time to shine it's time to give amazing service and make sure people are leaving happy and that's why i talk about food is not enough right it has to be vibes and service and all that stuff so we had to hit it from every angle of the restaurant and had to hit it relentlessly but it was like it was a slow slog to sort of get our heads back above water probably took like almost a year to a point where we were like okay we have a grasp on this again by the way, I just want to let our listeners know that there's like a rattling sound in the background. That is a fan that we can't turn off because this is a working restaurant We're here. Bacon. And call We're your bacon mother. right now. You're bacon, bacon. Bacon, and holla sub rolls for some sandwiches tomorrow. Yum. We're baking a few bagels for some wholesale accounts that go out in a few hours. So before we get into what you do in your current role. Mm-hmm. Your pizza is more than the crust. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, a lot of the accolades that you've received have come from the really creative, fresh toppings that you put on. Can you just talk about that real quick? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from like where we started at the farmer's markets, um, where every day at the farmer's market, we would have a seasonal special that we would get all the ingredients at the market. So you had to get creative because some days there's just like not traditional toppings in season. So there's radishes and sugar snap peas and things that you would never think to put on pizza that we were like, let's try this out. And the market was this great place to try stuff out too, right? Um, and does it taste good? Yeah, it tastes. some of the stuff tastes really good. Did we have some misses? Of course. But I think that's sort of like the ethos of what we do is that we don't want to do anything like over the top kitschy or corny or trying too hard. We just want to like do our own thing, create interesting combinations that are actually using real fresh ingredients, nothing like over processed or anything like that. Use stuff that's in season. And then, you know, we're just always sort of tweaking and testing and we're looking for inspiration everywhere. Right? I went to India two years ago and then we came back and we had this like lightly inspired Indian pizza that had lamb and almonds on it and, and some peas. You're giving me a fish. It was tight. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I we're always looking I'm for inspiration. Like my mouth isn't watering over that on pizza, yeah. but I'm sure there are some people. No, and then there's ones it. like, you know, we we're at the market one day and we had some bacon and peaches were in season. So we got peaches and we we're like, the peaches, bacon, this needs some spice jalapenos. And it's like. Now you're talking. Who doesn't like that shit? Absolutely. All right. So to better understand what you do in your current role as the owner and chief doughboy. Mm-hmm. By the way, boy is B-O-I. Boy. <laughs> How many employees do you have between Timber and Call Your Mother? And what are all of your responsibilities? Yes, yeah, so we and we also have a, a small offshoot of Timber out in Boston. So between all the farmers markets and all this, we have over 90 employees currently. So my job is like it's constantly evolving. The first two years at Timber, I was, you know, I was the owner and I was an employee. I was making pizza every single night. Some nights I was taking orders at the front and sort of little by little, we had to put some some layers and some systems in place. So now we have great managers and director of operations and head bakers. And so I've really moved into more of like a management operations role. And I would say my main responsibility now is is future growth. We raised $1.35 million this year to open some more Call Your Mothers. So I'm looking to negotiate leases and sign up architects and design new restaurants and also hire great staff. I think this is an industry that is so reliant on having great people. And so I'm 
constantly recruiting and interviewing and trying to just find people who are hungry to be in this industry who are looking for great opportunity. Cause I say, don't look at this as a restaurant, look at this as a startup and, you know, get in now before we go to the fricking moon. And I have a feeling you're going to get there. I hope so. Knock on wood. So take us into a typical day. Yeah. What does it look like? What time are you getting day. up? I get up between 5.30 and 6. We get up early. Danny and I usually get up around the same time. We usually have some coffee together and then we usually separate. She comes in a lot earlier to me to deal with baking. She's really more hands-on in the kitchen. But it totally depends on the day. Some days I go straight to one of our new location build-outs and deal with that. Some days I just come here. I think it's really important to still be in the restaurant every day or as much as you can to, to sort of see how everything's going. So today I came here this morning. was just like here for three hours and, you know, nitpicking on little things, but also just making sure morale and vibes are through the roof, making sure the music was just right. Like nitpicking um, around what? You name it. Why is that table not wiped down a little faster? Why is there an empty Coke bottle on the street? Like, that's how anal we are. It's not just in front of us. It's like in front of our restaurant should be clean. So before we open, you know, checklist is to go clean the street and the sidewalk. But our staff is great. And like 99% of the time, they're nailing it. And then we're also just always talking about the future here with the bakers. How do we increase production? How do we bake faster? How do we bake better? How do we make this more consistent? So truly, every day is different. Last week, I spent a whole day down at the zoning board doing a hearing for our Georgetown location. We're having some zoning issues. So I've had to figure out how to wear a lot of different hats. But I like being in the restaurant the most. I really do. Like I love interacting with customers and the staff and making great food. So the bigger we get, I sort of do less of that. But I have to remind myself to still get my boots on the ground and stay in the shops. Definitely. So we're going to be digging into your time as an undergrad at the College of Charleston in just a few minutes. Okay. Oh, my mom doesn't listen. No, no, no. We're not going to be digging that deep. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) And your time in grad school, you got your MBA, by the way, from Fordham University. Go Rams. Go Rams in 2010. And you specialized in marketing. Yeah. You actually did a couple of marketing internships, as you mentioned, in the sports industry as an account executive at Octagon and mm-hmm. then at Fox Rock Partners. That's a little bit of a tongue I twister. I forgot that name. That was so long ago. <laughs> Good by you. What, if anything, did you learn in those jobs and from your time in grad school in the marketing space that you may have applied to building your yeah. restaurants? I think my biggest takeaway there, and I I always beat this drum, is that everybody is playing from the same playbook in all these industries. And that's true of any industry, whether it's marketing or sales or whatever, teaching, whatever. It's like everybody's playing from the same playbook. Everybody learns the same shit. So everybody's doing the same shit. So nothing feels like original anymore. And you see that. And it's like in the more you're in an industry, the like harder it is to sort of like do innovative stuff, I think, because you just like, this is the way we do it. This is the way we think. This is the sort of social media programming we do. And so I really saw like everybody's doing the same stuff. So nothing feels original anymore. And obviously some stuff feels original. That's not everybody, but like the majority of people are just playing from the same playbook. And so everything I've done, I'm just trying to always think about like, let's throw the playbook out. Let's just like do this a new way. Let's think creatively, which is really scary at the beginning. You know, like when you're starting a restaurant, everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you going to that neighborhood? What are you doing in that small of a space for? What, why is your menu so small? And you're just like, we're just going to do our thing. And hopefully it resonates with the people. And thank God it did. So your kind of secret sauce Mm -hmm. was to throw out the playbook and 
Listen to your gut. Listen to your gut. When they zig, we zag. Always just try to stay ahead of the game a little bit. But like Danny and I always say, it's like we just like cook what we like and we make what we like and we build spaces that we'd want to hang out in. And that's truly it. We're not like doing it to try and fit some mold. You know, you hear these restaurants being like, and we're going to build like an Instagram wall. And that shit never hits. It never resonates. When you're trying to like force that stuff, it doesn't work. We're really lucky that a lot of people come in here and use Instagram and social media. But we were never like, this is going to be the wall where they're going to take photos. It's like, be original, be yourselves, let it happen organically, and throw the playbook out. What about EverFi? That's the educational technology startup mm-hmm. where you work for two years right out of grad school as director of business development. What did you learn in that role that you're using today in building your restaurants? Relationships matter almost more than you think they should in the business world. I mean, I was honestly, I was not a great employee. I would skip out and go play golf. I would skip out and go to date nationals games. I was not the best employee, but my bosses loved me. My clients loved me. And so I continued to to go up the ladder. Now I'm not suggesting don't work hard, but I am suggesting that relationships matter so much. And that's true in any industry. And now here that matters in like our purveyors, right? Like if there's a farmer who's oh my God, we didn't grow enough pea shoots this week. We only have enough for a couple of clients. If they love us, we're going to get those pea shoots. And it's like all these little things matter in the relationships with the neighborhood. If anything happens in the neighborhood, now you want your neighbors to have your back. If you need something done down in city hall, if you have good relationships with the city, now all that matters. So it's really like, it was eye-opening how much relationships matter, but also go to work. Don't be like me. I think that's great yeah, advice. Yeah, go to work. Now that you've been in the food industry and the restaurant business for about five and a half years. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for our young listeners, young people like Emily and Jasmine who may want to explore starting the restaurant? What are your top lessons learned? I mean, the the advice is I would definitely get your, your, dip your toes in the water before you jump all the way in, in this industry. I think a lot of people from the outside think it's super romantic and you're walking around and shaking hands of customers and it's psych. I've cleaned up human poop off the side of this wall. It is like you are going to do stuff you've never dreamed about doing in the industry. You're going to work harder than you've ever worked and see things you never thought you would see. Hence human poop on the side of the wall. I don't want to know how that happened. We don't know how I think. That was very early timber days. I think some somebody might have had too much to drink and couldn't find their way home or something. But lesson is, because I've seen it happen to a lot of friends and a lot of people in this industry where it's like, it's going to be so fun to open a bar. And then it's like six months in, they're like, oh my God, what have I done? Because it is truly, it is not for everybody. So I would say definitely test it out a little bit. Go work somewhere. See if this is an industry you really love because you have to love it to want to do it. And then I've talked about this a little bit. The main lesson is food is not enough. It is not enough to make the best muffins. It is not enough to make the best pizza or bagels. It is a holistic approach that needs to just sort of check all the boxes. Service has to be great. The vibe has to be great. The lighting has to be great. The design has to be great. So the lesson is food is not enough and and just test it out before you throw your other career away if you have one. Great advice. Thank you. I want a flashback. Uh Uh-oh. I really do. I want a flashback to when you were a senior at the College of Charleston. Mm -hmm. You got your BA in political science. Yeah. Put it here. I was a poli-sci major too. Yes. I was not the best poli-sci major. Yeah, I can't say I was the best either. Did you have any idea what you were going to do, Andrew, when you graduated? 
I had no idea, but I think I was talking about a pizza restaurant back then. Seriously? I had, a, I had a friend who I studied abroad with, and when I opened the pizza restaurant, she was like, oh, I'm so glad you finally did that. And I was like, I was talking about that back then, but I think like almost the higher education that you get and the better school you go to, it's like it tends to like narrow your options. You think there's only these certain professions you can go into. It's like being a doctor or going into finance or blah, blah, blah. It's like I remember graduating and be like, shit, there's like six career paths and none of these talk to me. And I wish A, I'd chased the pizza thing earlier and B, that somebody had talked to me and been like, there's so many options out there. You want to go play with dolphins? I'm sure there's a job you can go find and do that. You know, there's just like there's so many jobs, there's so many opportunities. And I think when you're, you know, a senior and all your friends are getting jobs and they're all in a certain type of industry, there's this like pressure you start to feel like, oh my God, I should be having a job like this. And that's why I went out to LA and worked for an ad agency. And I was like, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was like, this shit sucks. This is horrible. I don't want to do this. So short answer is no, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I wish somebody had said, hey buddy, there's a big world out there and lots of options. And if you have something that's ruminating and an idea you have, chase that mofo down. There you go. What about extracurricular activities? I know you were involved in intramural basketball, Mm -hmm. soccer, Banana clips, four times champions, (laughs) undefeated. You were also a member of the Model African Union. Did any (laughs) of those activities, don't make me laugh, or any other, including those part-time jobs that we were alluding to, or maybe volunteer work, I know you did some volunteering, help you hone skills that in hindsight now, looking back, you're like, wow, I never thought that doing this thing that I enjoyed would actually help prepare me for the real world. For sure. I mean, I'm going to take it back even a little further. In high school, my senior year, I was on the basketball team, starting point guard, and I was like going through the motions and my coach grabbed me and he was like... He was like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're, you're half-assing it. And he was like, you should half-ass nothing in your life. He was like, if I see you half-ass it again, I'm pulling you out of the game. And I was like, okay. And I went out there and started shooting and scored a bunch of points, blah, blah, blah. But that's true in like all those extracurriculars too, right? Like I was joking about the banana clips, four times champions, but that's real. Cause we cared and we went hard and we tried really, really hard. And I talk about this a lot. It's like grit and hard work is undefeated. And I think so many people think there's like a way to skip that. And there's a way to like leapfrog to the management or C-suite or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's no way there except through the motherfucking wall. And I think you learn that in a part-time job and extracurriculars in school. It's like you work harder than everybody else. You're going to see sort of reap the rewards. I also think that, and tell me if you disagree, mm-hmm. that when you worked in the model African Union, you began to tap into and maybe really see your charisma, mm-hmm. your ability to think on your feet and spin a yarn. And that gets to your ability interpersonally that you were saying with the relationships. For sure. And the only skill I graduated college with that I was confident was like, I can talk to people. And you go into interviews and be like, oh, I'm really good at talking to people. Like, what the? That's not a skill, bro. But it can be. And it is. And I think everybody should get like a little bit of sales experience under their belt because everything is sales. Even if you're a doctor, you're selling clients. You know what I mean? It's like it is everything and being able to talk to people and feel confident. Confident is so important. So 
I would agree with that. I try to ask all time for coffee guests these last two questions. Okay. And the first one is if you could share a time in your professional life when you really struggled. And I don't know if you had the same experience I have. I got fired twice in my 40s. Mm-hmm. You're not 40 yet. So 33. you can't say that. You're yeah. still a young guy. But a time when you felt like, oh my God, yeah. this, I have a terrible boss or I've got really sucky colleagues or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And then what lesson you may have learned in the process? Yeah. When I graduated grad school, I I was still sort of clueless of what I wanted to do. And I came back to DC and I got a job with Douglas Development for 10 days. It's a real estate development company. For 10 days. And it was insane. And there was really no direction. I I didn't even get a computer or a job description. It was just chaos. And I like tried as hard as I could. And I made this newsletter. And then I got fired pretty ruthlessly by the head honcho. He pulled me into his office and he said, you know, the guys who hand out the uh, Street Sense newspaper, the homeless guys. I was like, yeah. And he was like, I could hire one of those guys to do your job for 200 bucks a week. Today's your last day. I was like, God damn, it's just mean. So I left. I walked all the way home. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I went to grad school. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to do. And in hindsight, I knew I wanted to open a pizza restaurant there, right? Like it's what I did my capstone project in for grad school. It was the idea I always talked about, but I was just sort of too scared to do it. Like I felt like, again, I keep harping on this idea is like, there's only a certain amount of career paths we're allowed to go down. And I was like, I just, none of these career paths are talking to me. And I wish I had realized a little earlier that that's because those weren't for me. And I should have chased down the idea that really spoke to me for years before that. So that was a pretty dark day. And I wish I had sort of chased the pizza thing a little earlier. But, you know, in hindsight, I wouldn't change anything because I think I learned some valuable things at EverFi, which was the job I got after that. But How long did it take you to get that job? It was like three weeks. Yeah. That's quick. Yeah, it was. So final question. If you could go back to college, back to Charleston and Mm -hmm. do it all over again, based on the wisdom you have now as a 33-year-old young man, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give yourself? A, I just want to start by saying I could not be happier with where I am right now, so I wouldn't change anything. I would probably still just go through the motions again. Don't want to risk ruining this. But if there was like a different world where I knew I would end up here, I would just say like, don't worry about the career pass, right? Don't try and like fit a square peg into a round hole, like really chase what interests you do what actually speaks to you stop sort of listening to your career counselor that doesn't get you. I took one of those tests where it tells you what your best profession is going to be. And it was like a sheriff. And I was like, I definitely don't want to be that. So I would just like, I would just say like, follow your gut a little more and have confidence to do that. I think, especially when you're in this situation where everybody's measuring themselves against each other, it's really easy to get caught up in that. Like, oh, what's your job going to be? How much are you going to make? What's your internship? It's so easy to get caught up in that group think and just like chase down things that you really like and that are passionate for you. And if you do a really good job at those and work really hard, you can sort of make a career in anything. Andrew, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. Andrew's Restaurants. Whoa, we almost had like a missed high five there. I was I was just pointing. I thought you were going for a high five. I will high five. Okay. I will high five you again. Cool, 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 cool. Andrew's Restaurants. Call your mother where we are right now. Call your mother, a Jewish deli, his other first baby, if you will. Your firstborn is Timber Pizza Company here in Washington, D.C. If you're if you live here, you got to check it out. If you're coming to town, you got to check it out. Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Now let's go have some pizza. Amen. 
Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.